0: Hi, I'm Nicole and I'm Desiree. We are both mothers who run a support group for perinatal loss. Through our group, we have met many wonderful families and have had the honor of hearing about and sometimes meeting their beautiful babies.
1: We notice that families feel relief when they can share openly and feel seen when they meet others who are telling similar stories. So we created this podcast as a space for families to share the stories of their babies.
0: We want to honor and remember these children. We want to help you navigate your life after loss and most importantly we want each story to give you hope
1: so please join us as we share these stories of grief and love
0: welcome to the blindsided podcast hi everyone welcome to the blindsided podcast we're your hosts nicole and desiree hi today we are here with melanie melanie is a lost mom from cape cod while living in cape cod massachusetts right now um, who has turned her pain into purpose. She's going to share the story of her son
1: Noah with us today. Welcome, Melanie. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Melanie, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Hi,
2: my name is Melanie. I'm 39. I'm, I just moved to the U.S. from Switzerland. My husband and I are like multi-background international wanderers. Uh, <laughs> um, That's pretty and- cool yeah so yeah we we chose the u s just for a fresh start. We're ocean people, and so we thought Cape Cod was a good place to to land and see where we end up <laughs> um, yeah in the in the midst of like moving here, we found out um I was pregnant, and we had we were kind of back and forth between Europe and the u s at the beginning of my pregnancy. And then when things got complicated, we, we stayed in Europe um, until the end of the pregnancy. And now we're back here since March, I guess, um, see what happens next.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, welcome back to the U.S. We're glad you're here. We're glad you, you found us. Can you tell us about your pregnancy journey with Noah?
2: Yeah, we were in Thailand when when we conceived. And it was just such a, as I said, we were kind of in the process of figuring out where to live and and we said you know what we're just gonna start trying I was 38 at the time and I thought okay it's gonna take a while I'm 38 I'm not 28 and then it was so funny that just like first try I was pregnant and I was kind of like not ready for that to be the case but we were so happy I felt so proud of my body to be able to like, just do it at that age. And
0: yeah, it's amazing.
2: And we were so excited and everything was kind of up in the air with our lives at the time. So that was just like this one thing of like hope. Also we had had a lot of deaths in the family right before. And, and it was just like, it was like this gift, just like new life coming into, into our family. The pregnancy itself I I hated it. It was just not an easy pregnancy, and and I I remember telling some of my friends. I think people, women lie about pregnancy being wonderful. I I just don't know how. It it was awful. I had all the like my first trimester was extended into the second, and I was sick all the time. Uh, morning sickness. Yeah, it was all day sickness. And I kept waiting for that second trimester glow and bliss and it barely came. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously like when I, when I finally started to feel better in my body and I was kind of starting to get a sense of being comfortable in the pregnancy or as comfortable as I could be, we find out at 20 weeks that my son had, uh, had something but everything was so vague at the time and the, and the doctors were not very forthcoming. It was just very uncomfortable and just like not the best healthcare experience at the time. We were in Switzerland at the time and the good thing there at least is that things were quick so we could get genetic testing right away. And so we found in four weeks we had the results. And so at 24 weeks we knew that he had uh, Noonan syndrome and we're like, what? What is Noonan syndrome? I I had never heard of Noonan syndrome before this, yeah. and we're trying to find everything out about this syndrome and joining Facebook groups and everything. And and it was uh, just like, okay, it it might be really really bad or it might be okay. So what is it? You know, the information was so like vague and not enough and all over the place. And so we were able to get a, a sit like a meeting with the geneticists and. And we were almost ready to terminate at that stage because we were not sure what was going on. And the and the doctors came, kept throwing that word so loosely without actually sitting down with us to talk with us. Hmm. So we're like, are they hinting that we should terminate without actually, without telling us that that's what we should do? Or like, what is, what is going on? So we're making ourselves ready to terminate, even though I really didn't want to. And then the geneticist told us, no, he's... His specific mutation is mild. There's only one other case of uh, a girl who has his exact mutation and she's five and thriving and had some early challenges, but she's doing fine. And we're like, okay.
0: It's crazy that they knew that. Like, they knew specifically that one person that had it, you know? Yeah.
2: I mean, we found the research paper later on. My husband, through he was doing a master's at the time, so through his university links, he could uh, access academic papers and then he found the same paper and there was just like this one case with that specific mutation and we saw it but still i mean it's funny cuz statistics i mean you can stretch it and and manipulate it to look whatever you wanted to look and and yeah when there's only one case then you can say yeah 100% chance it's going to be mild but it's just one case of that specific mutation so we were getting ready to welcome him and we were kind of grieving a healthy baby and making ourselves ready to welcome a, an unhealthy baby and, and see what that, and trying to learn what that would mean and and figure out what that could look like and just kind of doing the research on that. And I thought I'm a, I'm a health coach or I studied to be a health coach and then the pregnancy came and I couldn't work, so... <laughs> But I thought, okay, everything that I've been learning about health and wellness and all these things, maybe maybe that's how I help my son, you know, and uh, with his challenges. So, yeah, getting on board with this whole motherhood, this different kind of motherhood thing. So death at that point was no longer even part of like the equation or the the prognosis. So it just came as a as a shock. But I guess like a week after we found out that he had what he had, I started to have early contractions because due to the disorder, it's very common to develop extra amniotic fluid. So I was very big and very swollen and and so I had to be hospitalized for a week and then I got discharged when everything got stable. And <laughs> ironically, I got sick at the hospital with pneumonia. And so I had to be brought back into the hospital because wow. the coffin made the contractions come back and it was very Ah. uncomfortable. So I lived for like a month and a half, the last month and a half in the hospital until after a lot of back and forth and just being on bed rest for a month and a half, the doctors somehow like one day to the next things changed and they had, they decided that he had to come out, that he was no longer safe in in my womb and, I don't know, I guess it's weird talking about it a year, almost, it's a little over a year since it happened and, and kind of trying to. Sorry, how many weeks
1: were you when they decided that they wanted to, um, I don't know if you did a C-section or induce you, but when they decided to deliver your son, how many weeks were you?
2: I was 31 weeks. Okay. 31 weeks and one day at 31 weeks, uh, they had to drain amniotic fluid. And I thought at that stage, okay, this is good. I finally feel a little bit better in my body. And it was the next morning that I, I sensed that he was not moving normally because he was very active. And so they monitored me all day at 31 days and one, uh, 31 weeks and one day. And it was the longest day and, and from, yeah, it's one moment the doctor said that I was going back to my room and then and then an hour later another doctor came and she said that they were afraid that if I went into labor in the middle of the night, given his condition that they wouldn't have the full team. So it was just their decision that I was having a C section. So I had a C section, even though I, I wanted natural labor. But I I kept thinking, okay, whatever's best for for Noah, I'm on board, you know. Even though the whole process, I was just not very happy with how doctors handle my case. Uh, I felt always like they were talking around me instead of to me. But yeah, I, kept, I guess I went along with it. And, and in hindsight, it was the only way. But at the time, I felt very bulldozed by, by the decision to have a c-section
1: yeah it's hard because you look back and then you say like oh man i wish i would have everything that you're saying you just wish that you could have brought it up then but you thought of it obviously now but the decision that you made at the time was the right decision or the best decision for you because that's the only knowledge that you had you didn't yeah. have you know what i mean you only had what they told you yeah you had a c-section was your husband how did that work out was he with you at the hospital did you call him
2: was it an emergency no he was with me he was okay. with me Good. the whole like the moment we knew that it was happening, he came and he was with me in the delivery room. But neither he was with me on on my side of the screen, so he couldn't see Noah. The moment he was born, he was taken away to to just do damage control because he he couldn't breathe on his own, and and I couldn't we couldn't see him for like two or three hours. It okay. like the original plan was that he was going to come out and my husband was going to be with Noah, but. The situation was so so much more severe than anticipated that they had to take him away. And my husband stayed with me, and we didn't know anything for like two hours.
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, you're opened up, and then, and then your son is somewhere else, and you don't even hear him or know what's going on. Yeah, it was very bizarre. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah.
1: so hard. It's traumatic. It's a traumatic.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the time I was really so zen and so calm and and, and good spirited. And I was really, I, I don't know. It was like something in me needed to like be calm and not freak out. And maybe it's my years of doing yoga that just helped me or I don't know. But I'm sure it's
0: that. Plus, like you were being a mom. Like that's yeah. moms. We stay calm when crap's in the fan.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, my husband tells me like I. I that I was just like fully awake afterwards. And, and then I, I mean, it's just crazy how, how, how the, how motherhood just works that it like, just yeah. the instinct to like, just be there ready. Even though you're tied to a table and you can't move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, he, he lived for a day and a half of just being oxygenated and ventilated at full blast for a day and a half until he's just, his heart couldn't take it anymore. And that's when we had to make the decision to let him go. So it was kind
1: of you had no idea that that was going to be the result because they had given you like a good
2: scenario, right? Yeah. I mean, we knew that it was a possibility earlier on. And, and even when I guess it's it's I guess more complex to talk about it, what he had um that we also found out like a couple, like a week before is that uh, lymph uh, liquid had developed into his lungs. And I remember at the time, because I knew that it, it could happen with Noonan uh, fetuses. And I was very worried about it because the earlier it happens, the higher the chances that the baby doesn't make it. And I brought it up to the doctors and they were like, you know, it, they 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 brushed it off like it was not that bad. And I was like, okay, I guess... I guess it's not that bad. And I kept holding on to, to hope. But it was really just like that last week that it that the possibility of him not making it became a, like, a, like a near reality. Okay. So, yeah, before that, it was definitely not part of the prognosis.
1: I mean, you spent time with him, obviously, when he was in the NICU, but you had a C-section. So I'm sure that was a little hard. And then after he passed away and you decided that, you know, you were going to let him go and, you know, stop suffering, um, which is such a hard thing to do. I can't imagine having to do that.
0: Yeah, make that decision.
1: Did you spend time with him and hold him?
2: Yeah, that's the thing. So the the NICU team was like night and day from like the prenatal care. <laughs> they were incredible. They They had a family room for us and they basically just stripped him of any unnecessary cables and medications and we were with him until he passed. And then, you know, there was a nurse and a doctor just for us. And they would explain to us what was going on. And and then they just let us be with him until the end, until his last breath.
1: That's really, really beautiful. And that yeah. was in Switzerland, correct? This was in Switzerland, yeah. Okay.
2: I mean, because it's so similar
1: here also, the way they do things. I didn't. I was unaware of if it's similar or – but it sounds like it is very similar to the way they do things as far as like a children's hospital or something like that. Yeah. I know. Oh, I'm going to go back really fast. I wanted to ask you earlier, when you had your ultrasound, um, because you found out – like you did genetic testing while you were still pregnant, which I think is pretty rare. Usually, uh, if the baby has like a syndrome, they would usually wait – I think in the U.S., and I could be wrong, but they would usually wait – Um, until the baby's born and then do testing. Did they see, like, what did they see on the ultrasound that made them think, like, they couldn't diagnose it. Let's just say they couldn't, you know, they couldn't say, okay, your baby looks like it has Down syndrome. Your baby looks like he has.
2: Yeah. So I had the NIP test uh, in the U.S. and that was fine. So there was no Down syndrome or any other. So we were very pleased about that. And we thought, okay, we dodged the bullet. At 20 weeks, we had our anatomy ultrasound with my gynecologist my OBGYN. and the ultrasound was actually very positive and we were he was very active and all fingers all toes and nothing was like out of the ordinary and then at the end she mentioned something about the heart but she was also very either diplomatic or unsure about it and she said that she couldn't see the heart properly so she sent us to the university hospital for better imaging so a day or two later, we had another, or a week later, maybe, we had another appointment with the university hospital. And then they started to see all these, like, borderline numbers that were not, the, like, right. You know, like, his head was slightly bigger. His heart just didn't seem right. Like, the ventricles were not the right size. But obviously, these are, like, pixel images. It, so there were these little things, like, yeah. like So it was mostly the head shape and the heart that were... um kind of red flags for them and then they said that the eyes were slightly wider set than the normal and that could be a number of things a number of syndromes so we are our, our our brain doing research and google madness you know it takes you to all kinds of places so we even found Unen's syndrome uh, when we were like trying to find out what it could be Um, And so they decided to do an amnio and then test my husband as well for, do a blood test for him. And so to find out if we were carriers of anything. Yeah, there were just these little red flags that made the doctors think that it was a good good idea to test.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah.
0: How was the transition going home after delivering and after spending your time with him?
2: Uh, Physically, I was surprised at how well I was physically. I was in the hospital like after he died only for like one more night. And okay. I remember I just really to wanna get I wanted to get out of there. Um, like that night I was afraid to fall asleep because I felt like I was not gonna wake up. Oh my uh, gosh. It was like this like I, I can only describe it as this like just darkness, like black that wanted to consume me and just take me in and, and swallow me whole. I, not even depression. It was just like real like darkness, like a like emptiness. Oh. Yeah, so I, I got home, and, and it's funny, because um when we found out he was coming, I was freaking out, because I realized I didn't have any preemie clothes, and so I texted a friend of mine that I have no clothes that will fit him when he arrives, and so she bought a couple things for me just to get me started, and then when I got home, those things were in the mailbox, and
0: Aww.
2: yeah, yeah. But it's funny, it had the opposite effect. I don't know, I I wouldn't say happy. I wasn't happy that the clothes were there, but they gave me kind of, I don't know, like hope. Yeah, it's funny, like friends of mine kept saying that I probably wanted to like get rid of everything and, and just throw everything away. And I was just so glad that, the things were still there and I could go through them and, and imagine what it would have been like rather than just because we never had the time to set up a nursery because I was in the hospital so early. and Yeah, you're in the hospital for a month. Yeah. So just being able to have those things there kept me kind of in another headspace. Yeah, we even set up the crib and... And we yeah. turned it into a shrine for like yeah. the first couple of months and we would put things in it and just kind of, it became like a ritual to cope. But it was, it was very, it's a, it was a very isolating experience. I must say, I don't think uh, most people in my case, I felt like my friends and, and my family were just not equipped to deal with us and didn't know how to be there for us. And so my husband and I, we felt very alone. Yeah. During that time, he was uh, doing his master's at the time, so he took um, he took the semester off, and and so I was lucky that he was with me during that time, and and we had time to like grieve together and and just not deal with real life for a while. I know not everyone gets to do that. A lot of mothers have other kids, and yeah, in our case, it was just me and him, uh, just kind of being in our grief. <laughs> We talk about that a lot at
1: our support group, which
2: if you can get to a support group,
1: whether it's online or whatever it is, I think you really find a lot of healing just from hearing that everything you're saying, our families say all the time, especially like you feel really alone and like your families don't understand. Yeah. And it's really a shame because they don't realize that like they say the baby's name. They say, I'm thinking about Noah today or, you know, I'm thinking about you guys. They think it's going to make you sad. But in reality, you want to hear that.
2: yeah Yeah, you want to hear that yeah they're so afraid to this day they just like are so afraid of mentioning his name Mm -hmm. I mean I think some of my friends and our parents have gotten a little bit better about it (laughs) but uh but yeah it's funny how like people are just so afraid to to mention it I was fortunate enough that I did have find a support group um in Switzerland yeah oh cool and that was like the only real commitment during that time that I had once a week, and it was like these other five ladies um and it was guided by a woman who used to be a midwife, and she was incredible and it just it was so good to to connect with other moms who had gone through different kinds of pregnancy losses and and yeah, to know that you're you're not alone, because when it happens, I mean, before it happened, I personally wasn't aware of how often it happens, you know, it's not talked about. And then I, it's funny, I started to yeah. like, I started to post about it on on social media. Some of some people I knew from my past, like reached out and said, oh, uh, a few years ago, I had a miscarriage and you're just like, oh, wow, people really like keep it to themselves and they don't yeah. they don't share it. And it and you go through it like on your own and like like it never happened. And that yes. was very surprising to me. And it made me so, I don't know, angry at how at least in Western society we deal with these things, you know, yes. that there's no real space for grief. Mm-hmm. Um, so many cultures have a way to like honor grief you know Dia yeah. de los Muertos or Shiva or you know the Ganges and 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 what we don't have tools to cope and we just get on with it and pack it up and put it in a box and keep going and
1: yeah especially in the U.S. you get like no bereavement time yeah it's crazy
2: you don't? Wow, that's incredible. I yeah, mean, well, I do,
1: but not really, not paid. I know for a lot of people, it's just you get your after birth, your six weeks or whatever. But I know, like, if you haven't worked at a job for a year, at least you don't get the 12 week what is it, Nicole, like the FMLA or whatever. Yeah. You don't yeah, get that. Like, yeah. Um, after that, your job doesn't, and if, even if you do get that, your job doesn't have to hold your position for you after 12 weeks because some people, a lot of people aren't ready to go back to work after 12 weeks. That's not that long.
2: Yeah. I mean I honestly wasn't ready to go back to work for like half a year I was destroyed Mm -hmm. you know like yeah it's just like when I when I try to explain it to people I say like you know when you go through different kinds of losses some of them are kind of like lateral but this is full frontal you know because it's not just like someone you lost alongside like you know you're this is something that affects your like your going forward in life you know like yes very directly and then the physical toll of it as well because you're not just dealing with the loss of the person you loved you're dealing with the with the physical recovery as well at the same time and the hormones and yes. i mean milk was coming out of my breasts for no baby you know and and people yeah. don't get that that it's not that i'm just like Oh, sad because my baby died. It's my whole body. It's changed. is changed. Yeah. It's meant to do something that it cannot fulfill. Yeah. Yeah. Fulfill or no Yeah. If you could think back, what's like the kindest thing you
1: remember someone doing for you during that time?
2: Well, so the nurse that was at the NICU the day after Noah died, she was the one kind of like looking after him in the family room after he died. So she helped us with the Prints the hand and the footprints she keeps in touch with me to this day she sends she, she just like is always checking in on me and has been like the sweetest most constant person through all of this aside from another mom noonan syndrome as well who we have never met in person but through the noonan syndrome uh, group we we found each other and she she just like remember every every seventh of the month she would write to me every important date like not even my parents or or friends remember that you know it was my my due date or that it was Noah's birthday and she's the only person who's like on top of it and it's so strange because we haven't even met um, and she has quite a busy life and she has a baby with Noonan syndrome and her own challenges with with that and and she's like full on working mom. And so, yeah, just like those two people have been incredible and just give me hope in humanity. Two people that
1: weren't in your life that you didn't know. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Crazy.
0: How have you integrated your grief into your work as a fitness specialist and health coach or yoga practitioner?
2: Well, I'm kind of still working on that. So inspired by this woman in the support group in Switzerland, that's something that I'm starting, I, I'm trying to get started here. And it's been a bit of a struggle to, to get the word out. But that's kind of like where I feel like my purpose is now, helping women through perinatal loss in their physical and emotional recovery, because that's kind of it, I remember. So when Noah died, I had to keep my continuing education for my personal trainer certification going. And I found one on postpartum and prenatal. And I was like, okay, this is pretty relevant because I'm actually going through it right now. And I was appalled to see that the curriculum has nothing mentioning how to deal with clients who are going through postpartum challenges, but who don't have a baby. Because right. they lost their baby, like how, what is the language that you use? Uh, what kind of exercises? Because you don't need to be carrying a a stroller or a buggy or right. or a car seat, and but also yeah, I remember I was subscribed to one of these postpartum um, websites and doing the exercises through the course. And he was like, motherhood is hard, but at least you get to bring your baby home. And I remember every time, like, the language was so, like, not right for me. And yeah, I, 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 like, I powered through it, but it was so painful mentally and emotionally to, like, hear these things being said that were not speaking to me. So that's kind of where I, at least the hope for me is to, like, change that and, and create something for moms that speaks to them. Because I know we're not so many, but I feel like we're probably enough women that they deserve a space. Yes, it's
0: one in four. So one in four clients will have pregnancy or infant loss. And there should be some kind of language for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So do you currently are you running a group right now? or Are you trying to form one? Uh, I'm
2: trying to form one. Uh,
0: Yeah. If someone was looking for your group, looking to join how could they find you like what website certain website or company you work with
2: i was partnering with the center for the spiritual journey in chatham this is in cape cod okay i don't currently have a website anymore uh because yeah through the pregnancy and everything i just kind of as a health coach i just stopped the website um but um on instagram you can find me on mel's life lab and I can work with people individually or direct if they need anything as well. Yeah, at the center, that's where I was hoping to at least start the first support group. And maybe, maybe someone listens and yeah, they sign up. and Yeah, absolutely. That would be
1: great. Yeah, I think hearing your story, people can relate. And there's, oh my gosh, like they don't realize that there's someone that can relate to them. Because like you said, mm. it's not really talked about that much. Yeah, the work you're doing is really important. Through our support group, we've done like dance classes. We've always wanted to do a yoga class. I wish mm-hmm. you lived close to us because those are so healing, so healing. We've asked many people to do it. Um, it's really hard to find someone to just donate just one time. Just donate your time.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I'll come one time. I know. Come <laughs> <laughs> to New Jersey. I mean, it's not that far. We can. No, it's, it's like four or five hours. Calm, yeah. You're further up down. Me and Nicole would
1: probably rather come there than... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It sounds really beautiful. Yeah. Especially come
0: see the snow.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it, it hasn't snowed yet, but it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So how did the loss of Noah affect your relationship? And do you have like any advice on protecting your marriage for someone going through grief and loss?
2: I was very fortunate that my husband and I have always been able to communicate very well. And he was... Honestly like this whole experience made me fall in love with him all over again because he, he was super dad through all of it and and I saw another side of him you 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 can really tell someone's character in like in the thick of things and and I I think the thing that I would say as a tip and advice is that don't assume that your partner is not going through grief it might be expressed or expressed or manifested differently but as long as you can talk about it and and acknowledge that they're going through their own grief then you know you you shared something that no one else will ever understand and you should not take that for granted and it's so sad that a lot of relationships suffer after such a thing when they should such a thing should make a relationship so much stronger i believe because who else is going to understand what you went through as much as your partner i mean right. just talk to your partner, ask for help, go to therapy, just don't be afraid to like use all the resources that are available or are not available to you during that time that you're not able to do anything else but grief, just use that time to work with your partner to, to look for that support. And because I think that's, that's the only person you have in that process, you know?
1: Yeah, that's so true. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think where you see the breakdown of a relationship uh, when this happens is that a lot of women expect their husbands or vice versa. The husbands expect the women the you know, the moms to grieve a certain way because we grieve differently because boys are raised differently than girls. Hmm. You know, generally, you're not going to grieve exactly the same, but you put your expectations on them. It's It's hard to do. You really you can't do that. But that's just what happens, you know, yeah. sometimes.
2: But even if it happens, even if it happens, talk about it, you know, like be candid about your expectations and and they might not be met, but that's okay too. You know, it's just creating a a barrier with your partner is not going to help you through it. It's very true.
0: Yeah.
1: So besides the advice, because you gave really good advice for working with your partner during grief, but do you have any advice for parents newly going through the loss of their baby that maybe you wish you knew?
2: I think honestly, don't expect grief to have some kind of timeline or to go in a straight line, leaning to rituals, no matter how like out there they seem. My therapist said at the time, as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else, anything goes like really like whatever, like me with my crib, building the crib and and using it as a shrine, like whatever helps you feel closer to your child and, and to the grief just don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to go a little bit cuckoo during that time. I think you're allowed. You survived the unsurvivable. So yes. it's okay to go a little bit crazy. And and I think also another advice is that don't be afraid to lose more people in the process. Because I think you'll gain better people. And the ones that stay are real gem- gems in your life. I think a lot of people will flee uh when you go through something like that because they don't know how to be there for you, how to deal with you or but i think a lot of wonderful people come as well and and it's it's hard because it's a it's a it feels like a double loss uh sometimes but yeah, be forgiving to yourself. Be kinder to yourself. As i said, anything goes as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else.
1: I think she just gave like the my favorite advice. I, I think that was my favorite advice. That was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Good Good <laughs> advice. I remember um
0: in nursing school, i had I went to nursing school after my daughter passed away. And there was a question on a test that bothered me. it was the question was about grief, and it said, like, this mom who lost her baby is still um or her child is still has the room set up a year later. Like she didn't take the kids' stuff out of the room. and um, what's an appropriate timeline? for that like what's the correct timeline and yeah. I was th- thought there's no correct timeline so I answered that and it was wrong What <laughs> I the... thought how 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 do you know you know yeah the textbook how do you know but um yeah go a little cuckoo absolutely like okay. I've done some crazy things in my grief for sure but it helped me to get through so
2: it's funny in German they say that um they say that grief is not a process because a process requires a beginning and an end it's yeah. an integration because it's ongoing. You just it just takes a different shape as time passes, but it's always yes. gonna be there. I mean, you see you see grandparents, I remember grandparents that you used to kind of laugh about it, but now you understand that they talk to their late husbands and or wives until their deathbed and and yes. you start to understand that yeah, what is that line between life and death it, i feel like i say like you when you go through something like this you you live in that line you know you don't live in this alive place anymore you kind of live in both worlds and why is that so wrong you know like yeah it's just an, another layer of existence as long as it doesn't like keep you from from enjoying your life in in whatever new way it presents itself you know yeah. Why can't grief be a part of it too? I mean, right. I feel like it, it makes me look at nature very differently. It makes me not take a lot of things for granted. So, yes, grief is, I mean, it's shitty to say a good thing because it sucks, but putting it aside is not the answer. Yeah. And I would
0: say, like, I'm 100% a better person having mm-hmm. gone through grief um, yeah. than I was before. Completely different person, but so much better.
2: Yeah. I heard
1: a lot of bad stories about you before this happened. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she was a bad person. <laughs> oh my gosh!
2: Have you and your husband considered having another baby? That's a that's funny because um, for me, when I was pregnant, Noah was my only child, and yeah. I remember when even when the conversation of termination happened, I was like, "Nope." And I knew his name before he was born. And, you know, it was like, and I go back to that story of the of the baby clothes in the mailbox. And it's funny, that kind of sparked that, like, need to try again. And seeing my husband being such a wonderful father, it just made me want to, to give that to him, you know. And once that, like, motherhood faucet is on, you cannot turn it off. So yeah. I would love to try again. It's just, at the moment, it hasn't happened so easily as the first time. so. Who knows what, what will happen. I think we find
1: that a lot, a lot of our families, this, it happens. And mm. I don't know if grief has something to do with it. Like you feel like you are totally open, but they call it, you know, secondary infertility. Is it really? Yeah. I don't know. But um, a lot of our families experience that um, and seek treatment and treatment, you know, it, it always pretty, pretty much always helps. Um Yeah. But then we say, like, just
2: relax. It'll happen. It's not easy. Yeah. That's such the worst thing you can say to (laughs) to someone going through this. And also, I think my fear, honestly, I mean, we only started trying because of the C-section a a few months ago. So, but I think my biggest fear of treatment is finding out that it's unexplained infertility and then not knowing what to do about it. Because I feel like I've been doing a lot of the things you do for unexplained Infertility and coming from like a health background, and you're doing the research and trying to like get rid of all the bad toxins in your house, oh and gosh, yeah. and eat the right things and the supplements, so you can drive yourself crazy. Right. So I think I'm afraid of like being going to the doctor and being told that everything's fine with you. It's it can be explained and and being left back at square yeah. one. But I guess I have to make myself brave. And
1: you know, you said it was only a few months so far. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, but I guess I'm I'm turning I'm turning forty. Yeah, uh, in a month, in a month and a half. So,
1: well, let me tell you that I have a portrait studio, and yeah. I have two moms. Last year, and they both gave birth to their first babies at forty-seven years old.
2: That's incredible. And
1: yes, and they are their babies are perfect. They are wonderful. So I'm like, just seeing these two women. I tell everybody now, you're you have time. You you have a little bit of time.
2: I mean, I know my cycles are still there. They're they're regular. Yeah they're strong so I'm like okay so (laughs) I'm trying to like keep it zen and just go with it but yeah,
0: be positive yeah
2: but it's it's hard because you know you know what you want you know that it's just like it's funny like before Noah I was one of these women who I didn't need to be a mother to feel fulfilled it was something that if it happened great but once you experience that level of love or when once you go through something like that it's just like how can you picture your life Without. going any other way? And yeah. and I guess it's something that I might have to grieve in the future, you know. But I I'm not ready to grieve motherhood as well as my son at this point. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that Me too. too. Like, Thank you. Do you have any upcoming events or support groups? Do you have any coming up? Or
2: no, at this no. point it's open. I mean, okay. if anyone wants to sign up, we just need the minimum a minimum of at least six women so that it can be be helpful, I feel like. yeah. But I if anyone needs one on one support, I'm always here open for anyone who Aww. needs the support for sure.
1: Are you involved in any support groups um local to where you live right now?
2: No, I'm not. I'm not. Are there any or you don't? I think I found something online kind of, but I honestly, I find that online can be helpful to an extent i i like i like seeing people in person and and that was something with my support group in in switzerland that was so good that you could meet up for coffee and talk and vent about how shitty everything is going and not feel bad about it and even have like your morbid jokes about grief and
0: yeah
2: you know so yeah, uh, there's something about being able to like connect with people in person, face to face. That yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. yeah, and after COVID, it's just like I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over it online. I don't, don't yeah. want to be in front of a screen more than I have to. Honestly, absolutely. <laughs> is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted
1: to um, talk about?
2: I mean, uh, there was a question you asked about Noonan syndrome. That oh, what yeah. is it?
1: Yeah. So, um, only person I know is my one of my good friends now. Yeah. Uh, Whose baby I took pictures of in the hospital after she passed away. um, But they didn't have any idea about it. So I think it's really interesting to me, like I said, that your doctors saw like those little tiny. um, So it's really interesting that they found that on ultrasound because in her ultrasounds, they've never they didn't find anything. And then when she was born, they, you know, they took her to the NICU because of her breathing. Yeah, discharged her because of her lungs, and they thought maybe it was the C section, and they discharged her two days later, and then that next night she passed away. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's um, how, and then they had an autopsy and did genetic testing, and and that's how they found it. But um, yeah, Yeah. I'm really interested to hear more about the Noonan syndrome.
2: Well, it's a it's a bit of an umbrella term because it's a genetic disorder that usually is inherited. But it, in some cases like ours, it, it can happen spontaneously. It can affect different genes in in yeah different genes. Uh, I think there are like eleven genes that can can be affected. Noah's uh, gene mutation was one of the rarer kinds. It's usually not uh not a death sentence, and people with the syndrome live normal lives, normal life expectancy. But it is a little bit of a jack in the box. Of uh, health conditions, like the big thing that is um, that is common with Noonan syndrome is the facial features, so wider set eyes and the lower set ears, and but even that it's such a spectrum. Like some people have Noonan syndrome and you couldn't tell, so it can be very non-telling to very obvious physically, but also health-wise, some people don't have any health problems at all, but it's very common to have uh, health conditions. in Noah's case, he had uh, some heart malformations that would have needed treatment if he had survived. It's very common to have um, issues, depending on which mutation, issues with the lymphatic system. And uh, from what I've uh, heard, a lot of challenges in early development with um, feeding and with motor skills. Intellectually, kids with Noonan can be like of normal intelligence or with some disabilities. So it's really like such a broad spectrum of things that could or could not be the, I think the main defining thing is the the features that, that are very unique yeah right like, yeah, and you both are not carriers, you said it just happened, yeah, wow, yeah it's uh it's usually inherited uh yeah, but yeah in our case it was spontaneous the geneticist said that maybe there is some mosaic expression in one of the genes maybe mine or my husband but they couldn't they tested us like they tested me 3 times and my husband wow twice and nothing came up but to this day we're we're not sure so
1: are you worried like for um a subsequent pregnancy that this could happen again or they're saying no it's just like a fluke thing
2: it's well that's a thing that it, it's it's a fluke thing but again like talking about statistics we were 1% of 1% so mm-hmm. You look at statistics very differently when you go through something like this. So
0: when you are a statistic, yeah. When
2: you watch the <laughs> statistics, exactly. So, so it it's it's not like a like a strong fear, but it's it's always a concern, yeah, for sure. Even though the 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 probability is one percent, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Melanie, thank you so much
1: for being here and sharing the story of Noah with us. If you want to send some love to Melanie, email us at storyteller at theblindsided.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next episode.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the latest episode of the Blindsided podcast. We truly appreciate your support and time you spent with us. If you have a personal story you'd like to share on the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can send us an email at nicole at theblindsided.com or desiree at theblindsided.com.
1: For more episodes, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. Just search The Blindsided Podcast and hit that follow button. You can also connect with us on social media too. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Blindsided Podcast. We love engaging with our listeners and hearing your thoughts on each episode.
0: And before you go, consider leaving a rating and review for our show. Your feedback helps us reach more listeners who might find value in the stories and discussions we share.
1: Once again, thank you for listening and being a part of the blindsided community.